We'll be reading verses 4 through 6 of Exodus 20. My friends, listen. Listen to the word of God. You shall not make for yourself a carved image and a likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Well, beloved people of God, as we're continuing our series on the law of God, today we come to the second commandment. Today we're going to look at what the commandment requires. There are several things it requires. Today we're going to be looking at the fact that the second commandment commands us to worship properly. It commands us to worship properly. As we've already looked at the law of God, let me just remind you that we are to obey the law as the preface to Exodus in Exodus 20 tells us for three basic reasons. God is the Lord. He's the creator. I am the Lord. Secondly, we are his covenant people. I am the Lord, your God. And thirdly, because he has shown us such great favor. He is the one who has brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And there it is not so much a physical or literal bondage, but it is the bondage to sin. We also considered the fact that the law is spiritual. And when I say spiritual in this regard, I mean with a capital S. It has to do with the Holy Spirit. It is spiritual in the same way that God is spiritual. The law has been given by the Holy Spirit, but then it's also spiritual in another way, and that is whatever is forbidden, the opposite is required and vice versa. So, for example, children, you may know the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother. That's the positive side. The negative side is don't disobey. Don't disrespect. So you see there's a positive side and there's a negative side, and they complement each other. I would also note that especially in terms of the second commandment, the spiritual nature of God, the fact he doesn't have a body, the fact he has no, no physical body, the spiritual side of God is especially emphasized. I want to take just a minute here, so bear with me, just a minute by way of introduction to talk about the controversy in the church in terms of how you divide the commandments. The Roman Catholic Church, the Lutheran Church, and others combine the first two and then divide the commandment against coveting into two parts. Whereas we in the Reformed world have said that the there are two commandments that deal with idolatry. Why Why should we reject the Roman Catholic view? Well, first of all, the things that are commanded 
in verses 3 through 6 are distinct. And furthermore, there is no distinction among various forms of coveting. But I would also point out something. This is not just an academic discussion. Proper worship is a very serious matter which should not be confused or obscured by combining it with the first commandment. And furthermore, surely it is no accident that Roman Catholics, for example, the Roman Catholic Church combines the first two commandments and then essentially forgets about the second half. The catechism of the Roman Catholic Church, for example, leaves out verses 4 through 6 in dealing with idolatry. And furthermore, there is also, very strikingly, is there not, here you have a, a, a direct command against making a graven image or worshiping by means of it, but go into a Roman Catholic church and what do you see? You see statues all over the place. So there's no mistake in terms of that. In, in, in other words, there, there is a, there's a reason why in terms of rejecting the second commandment by itself. So the first commandment, as we saw previously, tells us whom we are to worship, the true and the living God. You shall have no other gods before me. The second now tells us what is to constitute our worship, the substance of worship. So let me first of all give a definition of worship because we use that term and maybe we don't really know exactly what it means. Worship is giving to God that which is his due, that which is is deserving to him. It is giving to God that which is right. And specifically, in terms of worship, it is giving to God a hearing. We listen. It's giving to God a hearing and responding to him in commanded acts of faith and love. That's what worship is. So, as we look at this then, there are three characteristics of worship. I use the initials SDP. Worship is special. It's special. Children, it is special. There is something different about worship than the rest of our lives. There's a clear distinction between that which is general and that which is specific. All of life is to be lived as Christians. All of life is to be lived in accordance with the right standard, which is the Word of God. There's not one aspect of our lives that doesn't fall, as we mentioned, that doesn't fall under one or more of the Ten Commandments. So you can't say, well, I'll be a Christian on one day of the week, but I don't have to be a Christian the rest of the days. Or I can live my, I'll I'll pray to God and I'll claim I love God, but I'm really going to do these wicked things. So all of life is to be Christian, It is to be lived according to the right standard, which is the Word of God. It is all to be lived according to the right motive, love for God. And it is all to be done for the right goal, which is the glory of God. And yet, having said that, we still must note the difference. All time belongs to God. Is there one second of time that doesn't belong to God or fall under his control? Of course not. We are responsible for how we live Monday through Saturday. And yet, 
We distinguish in terms of the Christian Sabbath. We distinguish in terms of the Lord's Day. There's something special about Sunday, about the Lord's Day. We also talk about the fact that everything, in a sense, is revelatory. Everything in creation, everything in this world, not just the natural order, but the the scientific discoveries that are made, the books that are written, in some way, in some fashion, bear testimony to God. They They reveal something about God. But there is a distinction, is there not, between the Bible and all other books, between special revelation and general revelation. So we must make this distinction. Jesus says in Matthew 18, verse 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The context there was that of discipline, but it certainly applies to worship. There was a specialness to it. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 10, the Apostle Paul refers to the presence of the angels. Did you know, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that we are in the presence of angels? as we have gathered for worship here this day. We're in the presence of the angels. And it's because of that that Paul makes an application in terms of head coverings, because of the special presence of the royal heavenly court. The angels are here. We also talk about means of grace. We, we don't mean the, uh, that therefore there aren't other things that God can use but we talk about means of grace. We talk uh, such as the sacraments and prayer. We talk about God's special presence, but we don't, we don't deny the fact that he is everywhere present. But at the same time, we acknowledge that when we are called to worship, when we come in the assembly of the saints, in the presence of the angels, there is mystery in worship. There's the sense of the transcendent of the heavenly that is so often missing today. As a matter of fact, there'd be no purpose to either the second or the fourth commandment without this distinction, would there? So you have to make the distinction. So let me respectfully suggest that we should reject the notion that you often hear that all of life is worship. No, all of life is to be lived for the glory of God but it is not true that all of life is worship. If everything is worship, then nothing is worship. So special. There's something special about being here right now in God's presence. Secondly, dialogical. Dialogical. Dialogue. It simply means a dialogue. So we, can, we have a conversation with each other. And we, we dialogue we talk back and forth, and so I share my views, and you share your views, and so forth. In terms of worship, God speaks, and men respond. This is a simple Sunday school concept. Children, this is easy for you to understand. Unfortunately, there are a lot of theologians who don't seem to get it. Many theologians have denied this idea. But I have full confidence in all the children here that you can get this. Worship is dialogical. God speaks through his word, through the reading of the word, through the preaching of the word. We respond in the singing of praise and the praying of prayer. So special, dialogical, and prescribed. 
I'm sure you all know what a prescription is. It's something your doctor writes in illegible handwriting and you take to the druggist, or as they say in Britain, the chemist. Take to the pharmacist so he can try to decipher it, right? That's what a prescription is. Notice the word pre. Pre means before. Script, that which is written. So it's written ahead of time. And the prescription in scripture is detailed, much like a doctor's prescription. The basic meaning here is what we call the regulative principle of worship, RPW. And it's very simple. Again, I'm trying to make this as simple as possible because a lot of theologians, again, a lot of churchmen try to make it complicated. It's not complicated. It's very simple, and let me, let me tell you what it means. Whatever is commanded is required. Whatever is not commanded is forbidden. Simple. If it's commanded, it's required. If it is not commanded, it's forbidden. This means that God is a jealous God who wants to be worshipped his way, his way, and not ours. This principle goes directly against Roman Catholicism and Lutheranism and much of modern evangelicalism as well. This principle refers to what we call the substantive parts or elements of worship. So if you go into chemistry class, you go into chemistry class and you see the chart, the the periodic chart of the elements, and you know that each of those elements is different. Or we can talk, maybe to use a different analogy, we talk about the human body, which is the, the different organs are organically connected to each other, but you can still distinguish. If you have a doctor who can't tell the difference between the heart and the lungs and the liver, get another doctor, right? So they're connected. It's one body of worship, and yet you can still tell the difference. There is a distinction among the different parts of worship. We can say an element is distinguished in terms of form, purpose, and content, and each of those aspects, form, purpose, and content, is prescribed. Let me just say, to make the point, the Word of God, listen to me carefully, is not an element of worship. The Word of God by itself is not an element of worship. The Word of God must be conveyed, must be, must be communicated. How? through the reading of the word and through the preaching of the word. These are distinct elements. We read the word. I didn't say, hear now the word of God, and then I read my own words. I read from the inspired word. When it comes time to preach, and then we apply that word, it's still the word of God, but it is the preaching of the word as a distinct element or part of worship. Similarly, praise is not an element of worship either. It's the singing of praise. That's how we praise, not through the dancing or whatever. So it's what we do in worship that has been prescribed. Let me also just mention in passing that this does not refer to circumstances of worship. A circumstance is things is something that does not have any religious significance attached to it, It's something that, it's a matter not dealt with in the scripture. These circumstantial matters are ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence, wisdom, 
according to the general rules of the word, which are always to be observed. For example, you have to meet at some time. Now, we happen to meet, we're scheduled to meet at least at 3.30 in the afternoon. Other churches meet at 11 o'clock in the morning, some at 9.30 in the morning, whatever. That's a circumstance of worship. You have to meet somewhere. Some people meet in very ornate buildings. Some people meet in former broom factories. Some people meet in caves. That's a circumstance. You have to sit somewhere. Some churches have pews. Some have chairs, as we do. You have to sing by means of some tune. You have to use some tune. But what that tune is, is a matter of circumstance. And so we distinguish between the substance, if you will, and the circumstance. Now, to illustrate this, let me give you a tale of two commanders. A tale of two commanders. If you were asked to perform something for the President of the United States, so Joe Biden says, I want you to go do something. You better do it, right? You better do it. You had better not freelance or ad lib. When the commander-in-chief gives you an order, you carry it out. But let me give you the tale of another commander. Imagine a hillbilly war hero from the Commonwealth of Kentucky, from them, their hills, the coal mining area, way up in Corbin, Kentucky, that area whose officers wanted to honor him as they were returning home from being in Afghanistan, let's say. However, these fellow officers are from places like Buckhead and Manhattan, New York City, and Beverly Hills, California. And they didn't exactly understand their leader's taste. They knew that he liked music. And so they get the best string chamber orchestra they can find. They know that he likes to eat, and so they buy the most expensive caviar available. And they know that he likes a libation, a drink with his food, and so they purchase the finest French champagne. Now, what's wrong with this? Well, yes, he enjoys music, but it's more the hand-clapping, foot-stomping variety done to the tune of a banjo, guitar, or fiddle. Yes, he enjoys to eat, but what's this stuff called caviar? He'd much prefer venison, grits, cornbread, and black-eyed peas. And oh, yes, he enjoys a drink with his meal, but champagne? He'd much prefer Mountain Dew. And, of course, we're not referring to the product from Pepsi-Cola. Well, you get the point. If his men had really wanted to honor him, they would have found out what he wanted, would they not? And done and performed those things. Notice it's not just bare principles, such as music, food, drink, It's not just bare principles such as praise, word, and so forth. But it's the actual items, the actual elements that are in view. And if that's true for our hillbilly war hero, how much more true is it for our warrior savior, 
who has paid for our salvation with his very blood. Now I want you to follow I want you to follow along with me. So in terms of these scriptures, we read several scriptures today. So I want you to turn again to Leviticus chapter 10. I want you to turn again to Leviticus chapter 10. <clears throat> and as you're doing that, let me remind you that our basic our basic text for today, the one that is the foundation for this is the second commandment, Exodus 20, which is very clear. And remember how I said that whatever's commanded in one of the commandments is required if it's, and the, but the opposite is prohibited and so forth. When God says, don't make a graven image, don't bow down to it, what he's doing is he's holding up the worst example of unauthorized worship, of worship that he has not commanded. That's the worst example of it. And positively then, he's saying, but you should worship as has been authorized and only that way. So look at Leviticus then, chapter 10. Uh, And so as I read this, I want you to make sure that I'm reading it correctly. I want to make sure that I'm reading this correctly. The Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, or strange fire, which he had not commanded them. So the Lord praised them for their innovative worship designed to attract great crowds. Did he get it right? I, I didn't get that right. No. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. Look at uh, Deuteronomy 12. That's not on your print sheets, but Deuteronomy 12, verse 32 Deuteronomy 12, verse 32. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it, God says. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. Then 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 25 and following. Here we find... Jeroboam setting up, uh, leading the ten tribes that became known as the nation of Israel, in distinction from the the nation of Judah, uh, setting up, uh, setting up uh, not only his own country but setting up his own worship. And notice how he uh, he is um, condemned for doing so. Uh, verse 29, he set up one, the, the gods in Bethel, and the other had put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines in the high places, made priests from every class of people who are not of the sons of Levi. But notice he's even condemned for setting up worship in terms of the own month that he had devised. Verse 32, he ordained a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month, and offered sacrifices on the altar 
and so forth. Verse 33, in the month which he had devised in his own heart, even for coming up with his own calendar in terms of this, he was condemned. Now, again, I didn't mention, I didn't, uh, we didn't read this before, but you can look up later, Colossians 2, verse 23, where Paul actually makes up a word, he coins a word, will worship, self-made worship. And so clearly this is held up as being inappropriate. Jesus himself, uh, Jesus himself in Matthew uh, chapter 15, in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus himself says, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me and in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. But there's one other passage, and that's Jeremiah 7, verse 31. Again, we had read this today. And if it wasn't in the Bible, I don't think you'd believe it. Jeremiah 7, verse 31. And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. Now let's be very clear here. The Bible hates the kind of cruelty that's being done to children, including unborn children in this country. He hates that. He hated it here, putting the children in the fire, offering to false gods. But did you see how he, how he couched it? He couched it in this amazing way. God says, as bad as that is, there's at least something else that's at least as bad, even more worse. Because it is worship that I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. That's God's perspective. That's the perspective of a jealous God in terms of the seriousness of worship. And so now, as I apply this, let me, first of all, my first point of application is this. Beware, be warned, be aware of superstitious or man-made worship and a tendency towards entertainment. Be aware, my friends. Be warned about this in the church at large of man-made worship and particularly the tendency towards entertainment. Today, much of what is offered in churches hear me carefully, is pagan worship in Christian drag. It is more like a rock concert or a big show. That's why people come. It's fun. It's entertaining. The children will love it. My friends, God is a holy God. We're dealing with serious things. 
We're dealing with questions of heaven and hell. We're dealing with the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That's sufficient interest, I trust. And yet so many people today gravitate to the big show. It's like Disney World. I have a friend in uh, Texas, a minister friend, who said years ago he was tempted to take out an ad in the Dallas newspaper that said, worship the apostles would have recognized. Worship the apostles would have recognized. Do you think if the apostles walked in to one of these churches where there's emphasis on entertainment, that the apostles would have recognized that as Christian worship. As a matter of fact, let's be clear, they would have understood from their own day the tendency towards entertainment. In Alexandria, Egypt, in the first century, there was a temple that was set up that had automatic doors. Again, like Disney World, it's entertaining. There were perpetual fires set in Thebes. There have been priests in a wild frenzy, such as those in 1 Kings 18, who danced around the altar and cut themselves, calling upon their false god. My friends, this type of worship distracts from, detracts from, and downplays the gospel message, even when the gospel is preached in such a context. That type of worship takes away from the message. A worship service is to be the context in which the gospel message can be impressed on souls. God knows what he is doing. It is for our good to have worship that is serious not fun. And pagan worship detracts from God's glory. He does not recognize it, nor is he pleased with it. Worship is a command performance, and the determinative question is not, is it lively? Is it fun? Is it entertaining? Will it attract visitors? Even is it edifying, but rather is it commanded according to the word of God. So beware superstitious and man-made worship and the tendency towards entertainment. Secondly, be aware, be aware that New Testament worship is simpler than Old Testament worship. The sacrificial system has been abolished. And so, as our Confession of Faith puts it, the New Testament, in contrast to the Old, is administered with greater simplicity and less outward glory. And let me just say, if I may, I would rather be here in this old broom factory than in some magnificent church that doesn't preach the gospel. Because this is where the glory is. The glory of the gospel. The glory of changed lives that I see in front of me. The glory of proper worship. 
God being glorified as he has commanded. And so be aware of the simplicity of New Testament worship. And then thirdly, trust in Christ. Trust in Christ. My friends, Jesus offered worship perfectly on our behalf in order to fulfill all righteousness. And we come, therefore, in his name to the throne of grace for salvation, but also to offer worship. But you've got to trust in Christ. And I call upon you today if you haven't done it. Trust in Christ. Trust in him. Rejoice in him. Rely upon him. Trust in Christ. Amen. Will you please stand for prayer? Amen. And our Father, we pray that thy Holy Spirit would apply this message to our hearts for the glory and honor of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.